0: You would remain standing and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me here this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, we'll begin our reading at verse 14 and read tonight through verse 22. Here now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of Of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Over the last few chapters in 1 Corinthians, Paul has been dealing with idols, with idolatry. He began in in chapter 8 with food offered to idols. Paul said there, we are from time to time to consider the weaker brother. Even though idols are nothing, false gods are nothing, that we may well consider the weaker brother. And then he showed the Corinthians how he did all of that in surrendering his own rights as an apostle. And then last week he spoke of Israel. And how we are to learn from their example, their bad example. We heard of Israel's history last week in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13, and and saw the idolatry of Israel and the lessons that we can learn. And so tonight, Paul continues speaking of idolatry, and he tells us to flee from it, to run away. Now why is that? Well, God hates idolatry. Idolatry strikes at the very character of God. Idolatry takes something or someone from God's own creation and it seats it on his throne and it puts him in place, puts it in place of Him. Now we know Corinth was a city overrun by idolatry. As you entered into Corinth, the first thing that you would see was the acro Corinth. It was a great uh, mesa rising hundreds of feet above the surrounding countryside. At its peak was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love and erotica. And so upon, upon entering Corinth, you would see all types of temples, all types of idols, You see, it was into this culture that Christianity came. And when Christianity came into this culture, then there was conflict. People have been called out of their former life, they've been brought into faith in Christ. And they now were called from that former life of idolatry to serve the living God. But the problem was this they still lived in Corinth, they were still surrounded by temples. And idols and pagan gods. It seems that some of the church at Corinth were still going to some of these pagan temples. That's why Paul gives them this warning here in our text. And so, the, the heart of, of the problem of these new Christians going to the temples of the, these pagan gods was idolatry. And that is the problem that Paul now addresses for us in our text this evening. And there are four things I want us to see tonight. And the first is the command that Paul gives to the church at Corinth and to us. It is simply this, flee idolatry. He writes in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now he's going to give some very important reasons in a few moments. Why? We're to stay away from idolatry. But he first begins with the command. It is a command to all. In Corinth, it is a command to us tonight. Again, idolatry is to worship something or someone instead of the one true God. If one is in the midst of idolatry, then that person is deaf to the teachings of God until God brings him or her out. Now we look around the world this evening and we see many, do we not, in bondage to idols. In bondage to false gods. If one listens to, to false teachings and, and accepts them as the truth of God, then he will not be able to listen to proper teaching until first he has been brought out of the false teachings. And so Paul is giving a command, and this is not a matter of Christian liberty. It's not a matter of Christian liberty whether you worship the one true God and worship idols. No, the command is this flee, run away from idolatry. To partake of idolatry is to say that God is not God. Idolatry tries to take God off his throne. That's why God, when He gave the Ten Commandments, the first two commandments deal with the very issue of idolatry. We're, not, we're to have no other gods but the one true God. We're not to worship God by way of images. We're not to have any images of God or, or make images of God. And we know uh, from, the, the old, uh, from, from Old Testament history, as Exodus 20 gave the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 32, what do we find Israel doing? Building a golden calf as they thought Moses was dead upon the mountain and, and Aaron took the gold and built this golden calf. And he said to Israel, worship your God. Now where did he learn that? He learned that from Egypt. But we are not to engage in idolatry. We are to flee from idolatry. And so Paul now gives us three reasons why. And he does so beginning at verse 15. The, the first reason is this. That, that we are identified by, by ceremonies. Now that word identity is all around us, right? People are so foolish they can identify as a tree. Men identify as women. Women as men. But identity is important. Paul says that we are not to engage in idolatry because we are identified by the ceremonies in which we partake. And this is illustrated in the Lord's Supper. It says in verse 15, I speak as a sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And then he, he begins saying this. And he takes them to the table. He takes them to the Lord's Supper. And he tells us in verse 16 that the ceremony of the Lord's Supper identifies us with the body and blood of Christ. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This morning we were able to partake of that cup of blessing. What is that cup? It is the wine. And the wine represents the blood of Jesus shed for us. The blood of Christ poured out. For our redemption, the bread that we partook of this morning represents his body given for our sins. And so when we eat of the bread and we drink of the wine, what are we doing? We are identifying with the shed blood and the body of Jesus. That's why you must have faith to come to the table. If a person does not have faith and if that person does not confess that faith to the church, they they are not to come. But you see, the Lord's Supper identifies us with the body and blood of Christ. We are identified with Jesus in the Lord's Supper as we come and partake. But not only that, in verse 17, Paul says the ceremony of the Lord's Supper also demonstrates a common unity between believers. In verse 17, he says this, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. When we observe the Lord's Supper, all the various members eat of that one loaf of bread. Now, we used to actually have that one loaf that we would pass around. Every, everybody asks, why do we hold the elements and partake of each one together? Well, to signify our unity in Christ. But also to signify that we we are identified with one another as believers in Christ and as the church. We have a bond of unity with one another. We are a family. Now again, like so many families, there are times where we bicker and we argue. Then we forgive one another, we move on and we understand that we are one in Christ and that unity we have is based on the fact that we have all been identified together with Jesus. We are sons and daughters of, of the Most High God. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And so if we are identified with Christ by a means of a ceremony, then we are not to partake in ceremonies that are meant to identify us with false gods. Let me give you one example of this. One that has infiltrated the Christian church, not so much here as other places, but as the example of the Masonic Lodge. If you've ever studied the Masonic Lodge, you notice one thing. They do not worship the one true God. They worship a being they call the great architect of the universe. But that great architect of the universe could be could be a Christian architect of the universe, or a Jewish architect of the universe, or a Muslim architect of the universe. And if you read the book about the Masonic Lodge, you will notice one thing that they worship not God, they worship Satan. It's in their writings. And yet we find many Christian men involved. They are partaking and identifying with false gods, the ceremonies of that false religion. And so Paul continues in verse 18. He says, People who ate the sacrifices in the Old Testament were identified with the altar on which it was offered. Verse 18 Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? When the Jews brought their sacrifices to the altar, we know that portions of those sacrifices were given for the priests and their families, the Levites. They would partake of that food. And then portions of the sacrifice would also be eaten by the one who brought the sacrifice. And so what was happening? By eating of the sacrifice, both of the parties were identifying themselves with the Lord of the sacrifice, Jehovah, God. And so Paul was saying, when we partake in a ceremony, we are identified with the group that conducts the ceremony. When we partake of a supper, we are identified with Christ and His church. And so the ceremonies that we partake in reveals whether or not we are idolaters or not. But then the second reason is this: idolatry is demonic. Did you notice how many times Paul used the word demons in our text? Now, idolatry is not wrong because there's something inherently evil about a rock or a statue. Now, some people say that there are things inherently evil in statues, and so we tear them down. There's nothing inherently evil in these things. Paul has already shown us that idolatry is wrong because it takes the glory that is due for God and it gives it to another. Now Paul shows that idolatry is wrong because it is demonic in nature. Verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Even though the false gods of this world, they're, they're not real. They're made up by men. They're made up by, by wicked, evil men. But there is a real spiritual force at work behind them. Sometimes I think we forget that there's a spiritual warfare going on. There are angels, there are demons... You know, many people think that they see ghosts, that they hear the ghosts, that they can go and speak with ghosts. I, I think the ghosts are something more than ghosts. I think they're demons. And then they entrap people in in their lies. And the spiritual force behind all of these false gods, again, there's one true God, isn't there? There's one. That is. Uh, The triune God of heaven and earth that we worship tonight. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the spiritual force that's behind all these pagan gods is a demonic force. We see in the Gospels that the demons were real and active. And at the time of the first advent of Christ, they were waging a war against man and against Jesus himself unlike anything we have ever seen. Why? Because they knew who Jesus was. They knew what he had come to do and they were trying to stop him from doing it. We know that demons are the servants of Satan. They do his bidding. We hear in the Gospels of the man that was possessed by the legion of demons. He was out of his mind. Chains couldn't hold him. And then he met the Christ. And the Christ told the legion of demons to come out. And they obeyed. They could do nothing else. Because God is creator of Satan. Satan fell. Satan was an angel. He fell From that glorious position that he was created by God. And they must do the bidding of God. God uses even the work of Satan and demons to fulfill his purpose in life. But yeah, God is not the author of sin. God doesn't tempt us. But Paul wants us to understand, if we are participating in idolatry, then we are actually worshiping Satan. I remember even as a young man in the early '80s, it seems like there were a lot of people that liked to worship Satan. There was a story not too far of the, from the church where, where I' spent the majority of, of well all my teenage years and through seminary uh, of a young lady who was taken one night not far from that church, and she was murdered. Because they were performing a satanic ritualistic sacrifice. It still happens today. We don't think of it, but it does. And Paul says this followers of Christ are not to become sharers in demons. And he goes on, he says, it's an inconsistent service. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Now, Paul here is still using the analogy of the Lord's Supper. He says, you cannot partake of the Lord's Supper along with Satan's Supper. You cannot be identified with God, with Jesus, and with Satan. And Jesus Himself told us this, did He not? In Matthew 6, and verse 24, He says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. But there are a lot of people who are trying to serve two masters, even tonight. Now, we try it too, don't we? We do it every time we sin. Every time we sin against God, we are trying to serve two masters. God and the flesh. The Lord Jesus and the sin that we love more than Him. But Paul says this cannot be done, nor should it be done. You see, God will not share loyalties. An idolater is like, like a wife who says she loves her husband, but then she goes out with other men. Her words are inconsistent with, with her actions, and the natural reaction of the husband is what? It is one of jealousy. And that brings us to the third reason why we are not to be idolaters, and is this, idolatry makes God Jealous. God is a jealous God. Now we think of jealousy, we usually think of it in in, in the way that that is sinful. But we know God is not a God who sins. God will not stand for competition. God is jealous for that which is the most holy and upright and worthy to be esteemed and worshipped. He is jealous for His own glory. He created every one of us who are here tonight for what reason? To glorify Him. That is our one purpose in life. You don't need the purpose-driven life. You need that one purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God in everything you do, think, and say. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 14 and 15, we read this. You shall not follow Other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you. And he will wipe you off the face of the earth. Those are the words of God to Israel. Now what happened to Israel? Well the story of Israel is one of Israel's rise and fall. And it is a story of the jealousy of God. God chose them. Just as he has chosen us. They were not even a nation when God purposed to make them a nation. He called Abram out of his idolatry. He told Abram that out of him would come a great nation. And we see how God brought all of that together in the Old Testament. And we see as well, when Israel was faithful in worshiping God, what happened? They prospered. But when they were unfaithful, God was not pleased. And the enemies of Israel were victorious over her. The greatest example of this in the Old Testament are when Judah, the southern kingdom, is taken into captivity by Babylon, and Israel, the northern kingdom, sometime earlier, taken into captivity by Assyria. They constantly worshipped false gods. They sacrificed their children to the false god of Moab. And God eventually said, enough. But yet, at that time, He did not desert them, did he? he? He brought some of them back out of that Babylonian captivity to come back and to begin rebuilding that temple. And there was opposition as they came back, but yet God was with them. And then in his timing he sent forth his son his only begotten son the messiah whom they had longed for for centuries and what did they do with him Some believed but the majority cried out for him to be crucified And ultimately what happened with Israel of old well is seen in 70 AD when God sent the Romans and laid waste Jerusalem. You see, that was more than just something that happened in history. That was a testimony of the living God. And now who is the Israel? It's us. It's the church. Made up of who? Believing Jew and Gentile. That's why we are to tell those who are, are still entrapped in the old Jewish religion that looks not to Christ as their Messiah. We must tell them the truth. We must preach Christ to them. As we would the, the Gentile pagan that is in, enslaved in some idolatry or some false god. And so Paul asked two questions. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? These two questions serve as a warning to the Corinthians. It it would be one thing to provoke God to jealousy if He was merely a a little God with not too much power. And there's some people in the church that think God is just a little God and we can somehow control Him. It, It would be one thing if we could provoke, if we provoke God to jealousy, if he did not meddle in human affairs. But the God who we worship tonight is the God of creation. He created all things in the space of six days and all very good by the word of his power. And he is the God of redemption. He is the Almighty God, all powerful, all seen. All-knowing. You know, we are able to bully a lesser God. But not the God of the Bible. What will He do? He will push back. He will show us that He is God and we are not. And so the first application is this. We need to understand and see tonight... There is a real danger in taking God lightly and provoking Him to jealousy. In our affirmation of faith this morning, we dealt with the third commandment. What is that third commandment? We are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And that means more than just taking the name of God in vain and using a curse word. We're not to take the attributes of God lightly. We're not to take the names of God lightly. And we're definitely not to take the worship of God lightly. God loves His people. But He loves us with a love much like the husband loves his wife with a jealous love. God will not tolerate those who claim to be Christians that provoke Him to jealousy with idolatry. God will correct us. That's what he's doing with the Corinthians, isn't he? Paul is giving this warning so that they will correct themselves, so that they will stop going to those pagan temples and start worshiping the one true God and Him alone. And he does so out of love. And God will correct us. If we have idols in our hearts, then He will correct us. He will take those from us. Second, Christian, you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper and the table of demons. Now, we'll try to make excuses. We'll say something like this. Well, we're not going to a pagan temple and participating in the meal there. I hope not. But are we participating in other ways? Are we participating in... In other ways, by by reading things that promotes demonic, wicked, evil activity. I know some people will not like this, but I remember a few years ago we had a man come and from this pulpit warned all of the parents of this church not to let their children read Harry Potter. Why? Because the witches today say that is the most accurate depiction of of Wicca that there is. It's the table of demons. It's promoting the demonic activity. Yes, there is demonic activity in this world and we need to understand that. We need to guard ourselves from it so that we are not sucked in by it. Third, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are identifying with Christ. We are identifying with his body that was given for us. We are identifying with his blood that was shed for us. We are saying, I belong to Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And therefore, we are not to provoke the Lord to jealousy. We are not to say, in one breath, I love Jesus. and the next, I love this world. You see, to be identified with Christ means we forsake our idolatry. It means we forsake all of our sin. And we believe in Him and Him alone for our salvation. See, the Corinthians, they identified with Christ, but they had that real problem. That they still wanted to be identified with their former life and, their, and the world, the unbelieving world. For some, it may have been peer pressure. For others, it may have just been, I like going to the temple. They have good food. But Paul reminds them, flee. Run away. Forsake your sin. forsake the idolatry that we all once participated in and cling to the Lord Jesus. And may we never as a church provoke the Lord to jealousy. For we are not stronger than He is. And we will never be stronger than He is. May God add His blessing to reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You tonight for a warning to us. That we are to run from idolatry. We have nothing to do with idolatry because You hate idolatry. It strikes at Your very character. And Father, we ask tonight that You would forgive us for the times when we worship other gods in our hearts. Where we put other things in front of the worship of You. And help us, O Lord, to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we thank You tonight that we who are in Christ, we are identified with Jesus. With His body and blood. Oh Lord I pray for any here tonight. That does not know you. That you would. Interfere in their lives. That you by your Holy Spirit. Even now would change their hearts. Show them their sin. Show them their need of Christ. And by the power of your Spirit. Bring them to faith. As they turn from their sin from their idolatry to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.